Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. This morning, we're going to continue uh, the current study that we've been in for the last few weeks on the power of words. Proverbs 18.21 is a very important proverb that says this, the power of life and death are in the tongue. Think about that and consider that for a second. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So this means that few things have more power than the words that we speak. As we've already learned, the Bible teaches us that the tongue has a corrupting power that is beyond our ability to control on our own. And because of this, a transformed heart is our only true hope for transformed speech. And so we're going to spend a few more weeks in this series pressing into problematic areas of our speech, and we're going to specifically look at the heart issues from which they flow. But here's where I want to start this morning. The next time that you think about the words that you speak throughout the day, I want you to think about the torturous game that is Jenga. Now, we've probably all at least seen, if not played Jenga for ourselves. I don't know who the masochistic creator of this game is, but their goal was certainly the mental destruction of every person who would ever play it. Because think about the very premise of this game. The very basis of it demands that you weaken your chances with every single turn. So it's not like Monopoly, for instance, where you have an opportunity at least to build your way into strong standing and then control the game. Jenga is not like that. Every turn in Jenga demands plucking yet another brick out of the tower and then placing it on the top. So with every play, the foundation grows less and less secure, and it's only a matter of time until what happens? the tower falls. Removing bricks slowly destroys the very structure of the tower. Now, here's why I want you to think about Jenga the next time you think about the words you speak throughout the day. Relationships are like a tower. They don't appear. They have to be built. Relationships are like a tower in that sense. They don't just happen They don't just appear. You don't just meet someone and have an amazing relationship. Relationships have to be built. When Tammy and I lived in Chicago, we used to love spending time downtown. Uh, And when you walk around downtown Chicago, every once in a while, you will walk past uh, an empty lot. So you may see a tower on the right of it and then on the left of it, but in the middle, occasionally, you will find this empty lot. Now, in all the years that we lived in Chicago and all the time that we spent downtown, never one time... Did we ever walk past an empty lot on one day just to find a fully formed tower standing in its place the next? That never happened. These buildings take months, sometimes even years to build. And relationships are like towers. They don't appear. They have to be built. Now, here's what's so complicated about our words. Every single word that we speak to one another is a brick that builds our relationships, or it removes a brick, weakening the very structure of them. In fact, here's the big idea that we're going to see in our text together this morning. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Words 
are never neutral. Words are never neutral. They either build up or tear down. Every word that ever comes out of your mouth, every word that you even think internally, they're never neutral. They are either building up or they are tearing down. So every word that we speak to one another either places a brick that builds up and strengthens our relationships or it removes a brick and it weakens them. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's teaching uh, to this end in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verses 29 to 32. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this letter to the Ephesians in a second. But it's it's a book, you should know this at the outset, it's a book that is largely focused on unity in the context of the local church. And so Paul's goal in writing this letter wasn't just doctrinal, it was intensely relational. He wasn't just trying to inform the way that they thought. He was trying to inform the way that they loved. And so open your Bibles or your apps to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 32. We're going to call this message, Building Up and Tearing Down. Building Up and Tearing Down. Let me read these verses to you before we kind of pull them apart a bit. So starting in verse 29, Paul says this. He says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only... What is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is all about relationships. And it's all about relationships because it's really all about the reconciling work of Jesus. And here's what I mean. Through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his resurrection, Jesus has made it possible for us to be reconciled and restored to relationship with God. See, the reason that our world is so broken, and we all, I think, in this season, maybe more than any point in our lives and in our generation, are aware of how broken our world is. But the reason that our world is so broken is because the sustaining and life-giving relationship between it and the God who created it is fundamentally broken. That's what's wrong. It's not primarily an education thing. It's not primarily a political thing. It's not primarily an economic thing. All of those are fruit issues of the root cause that our world is broken off from its life-giving, life-sustaining relationship with the God who created it. The decision to reject God's caring rule in everything in life is what broke it. And the Bible calls that sin. And this is why the coming of Jesus was and is such good news for all of us. Jesus came to restore and to reconcile what was broken. And a necessary byproduct of our reconciliation with God is reconciliation and unity in our relationships with one another. And so this is a letter that is both about the message and the effects of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And by the time Paul gets to chapter 4, where we're spending our time together this morning, he has begun describing the effects of Jesus' reconciling work. In a sense, he's saying, because this is what Jesus has done in your relationship with God, 
this is the effect that it has on your relationships with one another. That's what's happening in chapter 4. So if you were to look back in your Bibles to verse 24, Paul calls those of us who have trusted Jesus by faith to, quote, put on the new self. If you have a Bible in front of you, you might want to circle that phrase. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So here's what's happening here. In every single one of us who follows Jesus by faith, there are two selves. There is uh, your false self that Paul calls the old self, and there is your true self, or what Paul calls the new self here in verse 24. So whether you realize it or not, you have been created in God's very image. But the problem is, sin stains our entire being. And as a result, we live out of our false selves, meaning we live for ourselves. We seek to be our own authority in in all things. We reject God's authority, his leadership. We reject what God says about things, and we choose to live according to what we think and what we believe and what we feel and what we want. And so we live out of insecurity, and we live out of pride. And so Jesus came to make it possible for us to put on the true self that God intended for us, the new self that once again lives for and lives from the identity that God intended for us. And so as followers of Jesus, Paul calls us to put on this new self day in and day out. And in his description of what this looks like, Paul highlights the implications of this on the way that we speak to one another. And he teaches us again that our words are never neutral. They either build up or they tear down. And as we look at just these four verses together, I want to frame them uh, as two questions to ask before speaking. Two questions to ask before you, I'm, I'm, like if, if we could, it's, it's unfortunately impossible for us to always catch this in real time, but if we could literally catch ourselves before we ever speak a word and we could ask ourselves these two questions, that alone would fundamentally transform our lives and our relationships. So this is very important stuff we're talking about this morning. Two questions to ask before speaking. Here's question number one. Will these words add a brick or pull one? Will these words, I don't care what they are, will these words add a brick or pull one? Look at, this is, I just want to be clear because I keep getting asked about this. This is coffee, not Guinness, okay? (laughs) So if you're worried, does our pastor start drinking at 10 when he preaches? I do not, okay? I wait till I'm done. It's never mind. We won't talk about that right now, okay? Verse 29, verse 29 says this, no, I think that's such an important word there, not like, Try to have there be a little bit, not too much. Notice he's very clear. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Now, let's unpack these two verses one at a time. Uh, first, notice in verse 29 that Paul says, no foul language should come from your mouth. Now, growing up a church kid like I did, I've always been told that this meant that Christians were not supposed to swear, okay? That's like I've, this was quote, every time I, a coach or someone heard me swear in sports, this is, I went to a little Christian school, this is the verse that was quoted at me. Now, depending on the situation, that can certainly be true, but that is not even sort of the sum of what Paul is saying here. It's much, much bigger than that. 
See, the Greek word that we translate here into English as the word foul means unsound, rotten, or worthless. So I want you to think about it like this. Uh, Many of you know, I mean, as evidence of what's sitting on my stand together this morning, I love coffee. It's an important part of my life. Tammy and I met working at Starbucks together, and so coffee's always been an important part of our life together. And now we have this, because of our love for coffee, this beautiful coffee maker at home that we love. But for almost 10 years, I believe, I would get up every single morning, and I would, for Tammy and I both, I would make pour-over coffee in a Chemex. Now, if you're not uh, a coffee person, a Chemex is one of these glass beaker-looking things that if you didn't know it was for coffee, you'd be like, you guys like cooking meth on the side? Or... (laughs) It's not. It's for coffee. I just want to be super clear about that. But uh, so, so uh, my opinion is this is the most delicious way to make coffee. The problem is it is not simple and it is not speedy. So you have to like every day, you have to heat your water up in a kettle. You have to weigh out your beans like on an actual scale, which does make you feel like you're cooking drugs even more than the glass beaker you're using. You got to weigh out your beans. You have to grind them. And then you have to hand pour water to the the prescribed amount of water over these grinds. Like it just, it takes forever. It takes like literally like 10 minutes just to make a single cup of coffee. And uh, so the problem for me after like a decade of this was it was taking so long. And even more importantly, it would only make like one cup at a time. So I drink my coffee black now. I used to take cream in it. So just so I know where everyone's at, show of hands, who, who takes their coffee black? <laughs> okay, so hands down. Who takes their coffee with cream? Oh, we're pretty evenly split. Who does not drink coffee? Cool. These are the people in the room I don't trust. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing. I just don't, I, like, I think we should talk after because I don't know how you're making it through life, <laughs> especially 2020, okay? <clears throat> so... But, but I used to take cream. Now, you want to know one of the quickest ways to absolutely destroy an otherwise good morning? You go through all of this pretentious, laborious work to make your one cup of coffee, and then you ruin it in an instant by pouring cream into it that you did not realize was curdled. Yep, we've all had a shared experience with curdled cream. Let me just tell you, when you are a sleep-deprived parent of young kids who was willing to invest 10 minutes in making one cup of coffee, and then you find chunks of curdled cream floating in this very necessary survival substance, it is enough to make you question everything in your life. And in all seriousness, the, the foul language that Paul calls us away from is like that curdled cream. It's rotten, it's ruined, and it destroys something that is otherwise good. And so instead, Paul says that we should only speak words that are, quote, good for building up someone in need so that they give grace to those who hear. And so here's the point in this. God's goal for our words is the good of others. That's why God made speech. God's goal for our words is, is the good of others. And it doesn't build someone up when we criticize them. It doesn't build someone up when we complain to or we complain about someone. It doesn't build someone up when we, by definition, cut them down. That is the foul, useless, rotten language that is incapable of accomplishing God's very purpose for our words. 
And so Paul means all of this as motivation for us to understand why our words matter and why we need to be careful. But if the destructive nature of foul language on others were not enough motivation, notice that Paul gives us another. In verse 30, Paul says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. So here's what's happening here. Uh, The entire Trinity, meaning the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, eternally existing in the three persons. I know that's confusing, but that's what the Bible teaches. There's not three gods. There is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. The entire Trinity is at work in your reconciliation. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, God the Son, you are reconciled to God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit seals you in him which means he preserves, in a sense, this reconciling work so that when you stand before Jesus, in the end, you will still be reconciled. Despite your shortcomings, despite your sins, despite your failures, your your reconciliation is sealed in him. And this is, there's an outflow of, of this sealing work, one of which, his chief function, God's spirit, one of the chief functions of God's spirit in our lives is the building and the preservation of unity. And he builds this unity in our homes and he builds this unity in the church. The Holy Spirit is always seeking to both build and preserve unity relationally in our lives. And so his intent is that we would love one another And that even when we disagree and even when we have to have conflict, that we would do so in a way that preserves unity. And believe it or not, there's a way to do conflict that still preserves unity. And this is the Spirit's goal. And because of how important this is to him, the Holy Spirit, the text tells us, is grieved. He is literally heartbroken over any words that divide and destroy unity. Think about the size and significance of that claim. And the truth is we ought to be able to understand this because it's heartbreaking when someone destroys something that you've worked carefully to build. So one of the quickest ways for our kids to end up in like a full-scale war with one another is for one of them to tear down something that the other built. So it could be Legos or blocks or dominoes, it doesn't matter what it is, but if one of them builds something and then another destroys it, it's not going to be good in our home. Many a tear have been shed due to someone else destroying something that they have worked hard to build. And Paul says that our damaging and destructive words have this effect on the Holy Spirit. So just think about this for a second. Hurtful words dishonoring words, disrespectful words toward one another emotionally wound the Spirit of God. So I want you to just think about, I was thinking about this just this morning, uh, the satisfaction that you feel when you win in conflict. Some of you are less competitive than me, but I think that we all have some sense, like it's deep in me, like anything I can win is a big deal to me. <clears throat> but I want you to think about, like, maybe this has happened to you, but maybe you've been on, uh, on Facebook, and uh, you get into some kind of spat with someone in the comments on some post. Right now, it's probably going to be about masks or race, or you pick your thing, whatever it might be, but you get into some conflict with someone, and there's something that someone says that just triggers you, and you decide against your better judgment, I'm coming back, and I'm going to win. 
And so you carefully work and you get this all written up and you're reading it over again and it's got the perfect amount of sarcasm and condescension. Your, your, Your logic and your facts are on point and perfect and you know this is irrefutable and you hit send and you immediately feel the satisfaction of I have won. This gives you a little bit of insight into my own brokenness. <clears throat> or maybe, maybe you're smart enough to like not get engaged in that on Facebook, but let's say you're, you're in a, a, a conversation, a debate, or conflict with someone that you know well, you've known for a long time. When there's a longevity of relationship, we know one enough, well enough to know exactly what to say to dismantle the other person and win the argument. So I want you to imagine a time that you've done that when we feel the satisfaction that comes from winning, and and here's the thing in what Paul's saying here. As we bask in the satisfaction of winning, God grieves in the way that we've won. Isn't it amazing the extent to which God is engaged in our lives? He is emotionally invested in every interaction and every conversation we have. In every single one. And so in summary, two things happen when we speak any foul, rotten, and worthless words to one another. Number one, our relationships are weakened. And number two, God is grieved. And so this should give us great reason to be extremely careful with our speech. And to that end, Paul goes on to some specific examples of how we miss the mark in this area. Before we ever speak a word, we should ask ourselves, will these words add a brick or will they remove one? But here's the second question that we should ask before we speak. Question number two is, am I speaking from my new self or my old? Am I speaking, this is specifically for those of us who are followers of Jesus. If you are here or watching at home and you're not a follower of Jesus, make make no mistake, we, we just live in the one self that is this old self that Jesus has come to invite us out of. But if you're a Christian, you need to ask yourself, am I speaking from my new self or my old? Look at verse 31. Paul says, let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So notice that Paul describes speech that is characteristic of both the old and the new self. And he starts with the old self, listing this barrage of old self tendency. Things like bitterness and anger and wrath, malice, shouting and slander. And in this list, here's what I think is very, very interesting. Uh, bitterness, anger, wrath, and malice, if you really think about those four things, those are not manners of speech. Instead, they are the unchecked emotions in the heart that produce the shouting and the slander that Paul condemns. So remember, what comes out of us flows from what's in us. So what that means is, we can't just decide, um, I'm not going to shout or slander anymore. We can't start there. That is outside in, and that won't be fruitful. We have to start with the heart, which means asking, what is it exactly that I am angry and bitter about? 
See, shouting and slander are an indicator that there is something in us that we aren't dealing with in a healthy manner, and instead, the anger and the bitterness is leaking out of us in these forms of shouting and slander. And so let me play this out for you for my own life. Um, There are, uh, generally speaking, there are uh, two reasons that I would ever raise my voice and shout at my kids in my home. The first one is just simply to be heard over the noise and to get their attention, okay? So this one's just purely logistical. I I need their attention. They have the spiritual gift of being exceptionally loud despite their very small stature. So that's first reason. The second reason I would ever shout has my old self written all over it. I shout because I'm angry. Now, shouting at my kids in anger is sin, amen? You can amen my deficiencies in sin. (laughs) I asked you to. Don't just do it anyways. When you do it on your own, it's just awkward and weird for all of us. If I ask you to, it's completely acceptable. But in all seriousness, man, I'm very convicted. I know shouting at my kids in anger is always and only sin. And that sinful act of shouting is the byproduct of anger in my heart that needs to be addressed. And here's the thing. Even when I do the work to dig beneath to that anger, I tend to find more than just anger. See, most often when I get angry, it's just because my peace has been disrupted, meaning I want things to be quiet and they are loud. And so I get angry and I shout, and that's wrong. Now make no mistake, uh, the anger is a problem, but even that anger is flowing from something else. So the anger is a problem, but so is the posture. And this is what I think so often for me sits behind that anger. The anger is problematic, but so is the posture that positions me as king in my home, deserving whatever I want all the time, rather than the chief servant whom God has put there to pour myself out in service to my wife and kids. So do you see how much I miss If I just stop at, thou shalt not shout at your kids. There is just so much that is going on inside all of us. And last week I was asked in Q&A how we can learn to do this heart work. And I really think it is largely about learning to wrestle with the question, why? Why do I do the things that I do? What I find is, I find that the word of God reveals the what and the spirit of God reveals the why. Now, here's what I mean by that. As I was reading Ephesians 4 this week, verse 31 convicted me deeply on this particular what. Shouting is not characteristic of the new self. So when you read scripture, one of the questions that you have to learn to constantly ask yourself is this, what does this say needs to be different in my life? So the Bible is very, very faithful to reveal the what to us. But the second question that we have to wrestle with is why. So this what that has been presented to us, we ask ourselves, why is this present in my life? Why is this particular area of obedience, this particular attitude, this behavior, why is this so hard for me? Why do I struggle with this particular what? You with me? We have to learn to ask this question of why. And so for me, writing helps me wrestle. And that's why I journal. And maybe you're more of a verbal processor and you have to like talk this stuff out. 
Maybe you are the type of person that can just find a quiet space and you can just sit and think and reflect on it. The method that you use is going to depend on you. But what matters is that we learn to wrestle with the why that drags us back to our old selves. And as we're faithful to do this often painfully slow and difficult work, the Spirit of God produces His fruit in us. And what happens in that is we we begin to walk more deeply in the very kindness, compassion, and forgiveness that Paul prescribes for us here. Our words are never neutral. They either build up or they tear down. And so before we ever open our mouths to speak, what if we learn to ask ourselves these two questions? Will these words add a brick or remove one? And am I speaking from my new self or old? And as we close this morning, I just want to remind us of something that I think is probably obvious, but I really believe needs to be acknowledged nonetheless. And that is this. Building is infinitely more difficult than destroying. Like if you listen to this, you're like, ah, this sounds like a lot of work. It is. Because building is infinitely more difficult than destroying. And you know, that's probably true in every single aspect of life. Years ago, my brother Dane and I uh, remodeled the small galley kitchen in Tammy and I's home in Chicago. And when I say my brother and I, I mean my brother remodeled our kitchen while I held what he told me to hold. That's pretty much how it went. But the one part that I was actually helpful for was the demo part. Now, you, you, you have not fully lived until you have held a sledgehammer in your hands and used it to destroy an entire room in a home. It is exhilarating. Now, this was, a, this was a very small kitchen uh, that we had, but, but you know what was crazy? It took us um, exactly one hour of work, just one hour of work to demolish the entire kitchen. I'm talking appliances out, counters removed, cabinets disconnected and thrown out, just one hour of work. Meanwhile, it took probably 48 hours of actual work to build the new one. So one hour to destroy... 48 hours to build. And at the end, we were exhausted and barely friends. I don't think we were even brothers at the end. We had to do a whole rebrothering ceremony at the end of it. It was so much work. Building is infinitely more difficult than destroying. And the exact same thing is true in our relationships. Every single one of us desires healthy, mature, stable, encouraging, and life-giving relationships, right? I don't care how introverted you are. Every single one of us wants to have healthy, life-giving relationships. What we can underestimate is just how hard it is to build them. See, just like the towers that we talked about in the beginning, healthy relationships don't appear. They have to be built. This is true of marriage. It's true of friendship. It's true in dating. It's true with our kids and it's true with our parents. Healthy relationships don't appear, they have to be built. And our words are one of, if not the primary bricks that we use to build them. Because our words are never neutral, meaning they either build up or tear down, we have to be intentional to build. We have to be certain that we are not speaking to one another in a way that removes more bricks than it places. And Paul tells us that this is all the fruit of the new self. 
the true self that God created us to be. This is the, the thing that is gifted to us by God when we put our faith in Jesus. And so the big question is, have you decided to follow Jesus? And, and, and when I say, have, have you decided to follow Jesus? I, I don't just mean, do you acknowledge him? Do you acknowledge that he lived or do you acknowledge that he lives? I mean, do you follow him? Not just treat him like a hobby. Have you chosen to follow his way of life by faith? Have you turned from your own way of doing everything and trusted that he lived the perfect life, died a brutal death, and rose again to pay for your sin? Are you laboring by his grace and with the Holy Spirit's help to slowly align your life to his every day? Because if not, the good news is you can make that decision right now. You can choose to begin following Jesus by faith right now. And if you have already made that decision, the question is, will you choose by his grace with the Holy Spirit's help to put on this new self each day and to choose words that build up rather than tear down? Let's pray. Father, this is so fundamental to what it means to be human because you created us to be connected in relationship to you and connected in relationship to one another. And so often we use this gift of speech that you have entrusted to us that separates us from the animal kingdom, our ability to, to verbalize and to speak. We use that gift to remove more bricks than we add, to live out of our old selves and to damage and divide important relationships that you mean to be a source of grace to us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for that. I ask that you would forgive us for that and that you would help us this morning to put on these new selves. And for some of us, that needs to happen for the very first time. So if there's anyone listening, Lord, that, that doesn't know you and that has not chosen by grace through faith to follow you, I pray, Lord, that you would awaken their hearts to that faith right now and that they would choose in this moment that this would be a defining day, not just in their life, but in their eternity, that this would be the day that they decided to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you do that work? And Lord, for the rest of us, I, I just pray that as impractical as it may sound, that you would teach us before we speak, especially in, 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 in these heated, emotional, and often unguarded moments, that we would stop, pause for a moment to ask these questions. Are these words going to add bricks or remove them? Am I speaking from my new self or my old? Lord, teach us to pause and to ask these questions. And above all, we ask that you would continue the work of transforming our hearts from which all of our words flow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.